Hey, y'all. Welcome to class. This is White Homework, a podcast about race, racism, and restorative justice. Um, I am Tori Williams-Douglas. I'm a writer, a speaker, and an anti-racism educator. I'm also the creator of White Homework, which is an anti-racism course that's designed to help you figure out how to create an anti-racism practice where you live and work. Um, Today, my guest I'm super excited about is the CEO of Gravity Payments, Dan Price. How are you doing, Dan? Tori, I'm doing all right. Thank you very much for having me on today. And thank you for your work, too. Uh, I really appreciate all everything that you put into this. And I know it makes a, a big difference, but I, I know it takes a long time, too. So I appreciate all the hard work and perseverance you put in. Oh, thank you so much. That that means a lot to me. Um, yeah, I... Um, I think a lot of people probably don't know who you are, which is part of why I wanted to have you on. I'm like, we should change that. Um, so yeah, can you tell me a little bit about like your history and like how um I know that you get asked this every day because I get asked the same questions every day, but um like how did gravity payments come to be a thing? Yeah, well, what I'm best known for is in 2015, I took a million dollar pay cut so that everybody at my company, Gravity Payments, could make at least $70,000 a year. And that resulted in the people kind of in the bottom third bracket of income at the company to have their pay doubled. Um, And so that was kind of a, a big kind of conversation and talking point. But of course, it's a m- much more complicated than that and, and you know, goes back much further. And so uh, Gravity officially started when I was 19 years old in early 2004. But I started building it somewhere around 2001, 2002. And I I grew up in Idaho. And there was a coffee shop owner who was kind of being bullied by the big credit card companies and paying way too much just to get paid on a credit card. And I, as a, as a kid, you know, really liked her and liked what she was doing with her business. And so I wanted to try to help her out. And she then introduced me to a lot of other business owners. And one thing led to another. And it it, it just kind of happened over a, a longer period of time, I think, than what somebody might think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I hear that. Um, when I start anti-racism trainings, the first thing I always say is we need to entirely reimagine the definition of success. And um, I feel like you have done that. I feel like your definition of success has changed and you've been really vocal about that. Um, what was like, what was your definition of success before? Like when, when this kind of took off and then like, obviously it transitioned when you decided to take a huge pay cut. Yeah, well, I'll say that. Um, I appreciate you saying that very much. I I think when I started, I just wanted to help this woman, Heather. She had this coffee shop, Moxie Java. And I really like the kind of like zany off the wall personalities that you get with small business owners. And I just thought they were so cool, even maybe a little weird, but cool. And so it was like, if I can work with these people, if I can like help them out in some way, like it just felt nice. It felt fulfilling. And it just, it just was like relieving for me compared to like the high school, like politics type thing that you get caught up in being 17 and trying to be like popular and all that. So it just seemed like way better 
And I was like, wow, I, I, I could really get into this. I could do this for a really long time. But then um, I'll say that with success came kind of all the tra trappings of success. Yeah. And there was, I became part of a community uh, of successful entrepreneurs or whatever where there was like this sense of like, hey, we need to try to be the best and we need to try to like measure ourselves based on money and we need to try to be millionaires and billionaires and own sports teams. And so, you know, it, there was some draw there, I'm not going to lie, but it was never really the point. And so I just had to kind of like wake up a little bit to that fact that like just because the people that started to like be around me were kind of on that page didn't mean that I needed to be on that page. And so there were kind of some ups and downs and I have good days and bad days with that. Um, but I would say that, you know, like being happy for me and like feeling good and like feeling like alive and whole and, and like I'm doing my best, like those things really matter. And those things don't really weren't benefited by, kind of like being a millionaire, like trying to like have all this money and everything. And so, you know, it, it took me a minute to realize that sometimes, but, um, that was kind of the journey of that shift. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that one of, one thing that you put, that you mentioned was like this kind of community of entrepreneurs and like, because that's, that's very Seattle right? Um, it's, it's like, yeah, we're all, we're all like really driven people. Um, and so, yeah, like I said, I really try to get people to like reimagine, um, community, right. When I am, you know, when I'm talking to people, when I'm leading trainings, whatever the case is, um, I very much say, look, like we have this system where it's like, you're supposed to do all of these things. And then if you do them in the right order, like, you will be successful. And we kind of promise this to everyone. And I guess it's become kind of a partisan thing at this point. Like some, who believes it and who doesn't, right? Who believes this narrative of, of like, anybody can be successful if you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Um, Do you so, think it's politically partisan or more just people tend to segment on one side or the other of that? You know, that actually is a really, that's a really good question. I don't know. Like, live, like I, I fully have to admit, like, I live very deep in the blue bubble of Portland. So <laughs> it feels very partisan to me. Um, but I think that, yeah, you're probably right. It's like across, very much across the board. It's like, this is what we're all told, right? This is, this mm -hmm. is like the American ethos is, is success and like being driven and, and, you know, I sometimes wonder if people on the blue side are worse than people on the red side in certain things mm, too, you know, and mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm from Idaho and I live in Seattle. So I kind of have both sides of that. Yeah. And it's, it's like a weird day when I'll be like retweeted by like Robert Reich and Ann Coulter on the same day or something <laughs> like that. You know, it's like, oh God. <laughs> so I, I, I do think there's like, I think there is a little bit of, like a new kind of like uh, some connections that people are making right now of like who the system's benefiting yeah. in terms of both wealthy and also kind of like elite or like most snobby, you know, kind of like the highest kind of, and I think that 
that has maybe some potential to break down some of the barriers hmm. of partisanship, break down, I hope, I know this is even harder to break down, but break down some of the barriers of race. Yeah. You know, because I think that there is a little bit of um, maybe uh, hardening that's happening kind of on both sides of the establishment where people are maybe looking for a bit of an alternative at times. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That absolutely makes sense. Um, I think that, right. We're kind of all taught to, to internalize this message of like looking out for number one, essentially. Um, and so reorienting the way that we view community, right. The way that we view the people that we work with, the people on our block, like what, you know, whoever is in proximity to you. Um, I think that that is really kind of the foundational piece for doing any anti-racist work. And I think that like you, I love the way that you have like put this into practice in your business and saying that it's like, we value everyone here. And it's not a matter of like, oh, like you just got here, whatever, like you're new, like maybe this is your first job. It's like, nope, we value everybody. So that's how this is going to work. And um, I really love that as like a model for people, especially like small business owners who I end up working with a lot to reimagine what success would look like for them in their community, in their context of like valuing people and not being in it just to like accumulate, right? Not to just become more powerful, successful, famous, whatever, whatever the case is, right? Whatever kind of draws people. Um, I'll give two just to add to that because I completely, I love what you're saying and I, I completely agree with like that being the direction. And and I'll give kind of like all the disclaimers of like, you know, like, yeah, like there's a lot of benefits and advantages that I've had. And frankly, probably that a lot of us, you know, kind of the listeners, yourself, that have had over other people and I've had some that you haven't had. And, but I happen to, through no, through nothing I did and no fault of my own, I happen to get kind of like the best end of that kind of unfairness to mm -hmm. it. But I'll say that with all those disclaimers, which I think are very necessary, I also think about like for people that are working really hard in anti-racism um, and in other fields trying to fight injustice, I would encourage you to make sure that you also take care of yourself, just like you were saying. But I think it's like up to a point. It's like you have, we all have certain human needs that we share in common. Yeah. And a lot of those are kind of the baseline basic needs and we have to meet mm -hmm. those needs or we're not going to be able to perform. And that's mm. where like, I, I, I like, I want to like acknowledge and be humble about how I say that because I recognize that there's things that I can do to meet my own needs that some people yeah. out there can't do. Yeah, and that, absolutely. and that just kills me inside. But that's kind of the equation is like, once I can kind of like meet some of those baseline needs, then I think for sure we need to shift and then help other people. But yeah. I wouldn't necessarily encourage one of your listeners to ignore themselves or ignore their own needs. And I think that's a really important part of the message. So it's like, have that focus of meeting the needs that you have, but then shift 
and don't keep trying to pile on riches and luxury after you've kind of met the needs that make you whole. Yeah, I love that because that's exactly what I wanted to do and what I've been able to do with white homework is, I mean, it was never about like, oh, like let's, you know, whatever, make this Patreon, set up this business. Like I'll just, you know, do all the things and like speak at all the events. I mean, that would be really cool. But the point was the reason that I set up like pay the rent club was because I knew it was like, okay, if I can, if I can pay all of my bills, like, great, that's, that's what I need to be able to do. I'm not, I'm not suffering. Like if I can pay my bills, like, cool, we're good to go. And I can then use my platform to help other people get to that point where they can meet their basic needs, right. Where they can get to that baseline level of being able to not have to constantly be spending all of their like mental energy on how am I going to pay the bills, right? Like, how am I going to get to work if public transit isn't running because of, of the virus? Like what, you know, how am I going to stay alive really? And because we don't have a system right now that, um, provides those things just automatically by default, you kind of have to earn, uh, you know, just very basic, like wellness, like safety and health, like clean drinking water and healthcare. Um, yeah, that's really why I, that's really why I oriented white homework the way that I did is I was like, this is, I appreciate that I can pay my bills, but as soon as like that's done, like let's move on to the next family because that's, that's what really matters. And again, I think that we, we really have to take care of one another, reimagine community because we don't have a system that a lot of other countries have in terms of like making sure that people at least have like their super basic human needs met. Yeah. And, you know, especially in fields like yours that are so undervalued, we can't, we can't, um, basically market to people to undervalue themselves in Mm, fields mm -hmm. that are already undervalued. I mean, I'm a, I guess you could call me like a tech CEO in 2020 is probably the most overvalued field in the history of the planet earth. (laughs) And, and so I can, I can definitely say that, you know, my field is overvalued, but I think for people that are working in fields that are undervalued, such as yourself, but also many others, you know, people that are working in grocery stores right now, yeah. uh, teachers, you mm-hmm. know, there's so many that like we've kind of conditioned people to undervalue themselves. We've conditioned ourselves to yeah. undervalue them. Yeah. And I think we need to try to do everything we can to undo that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um so I kind of want to talk to you about the culture of your company because I you talk you tweet a lot about um and you know in in your interviews you talk a lot about the culture of your company, the people that you work with and you really sort of see them as peers, like as people who are working alongside you as opposed to like I, I mean obviously you call the shots, right? But no, you're you, shaking your head. Okay. You'd be, you'd be surprised. You would be surprised. I mean Tell me more. Sometimes yes, but I have this belief that um, the team is, and and all of us together are much smarter than I am. Mm-hmm. And also, I have this belief that I have uh, many, many blind spots. Yeah. Which is related. <laughs> and so I, I don't, I mean, I don't like to dismiss somebody's perspective. Um, and I think I do so kind of at my own hazard. Mm. And even though because of the kind of system of struct and structure of like power and dynamics and the way they're set up, 
I mean, I, I do want to like, obviously like acknowledge so people don't get the wrong impression that, yeah, like that system like favors like the person in my position and all those things. And I get all mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. But I think for, for my mission, for what makes me whole, for what I like, um, I kind of need those, the people around me, like I need them in a, in a less tangible way, maybe at times and other times in a more tangible way, I need them and they, you know, need, they need the relationship too. Like we both need it in a way, like we mm. both, we both are getting a lot of value out of it. And so for me, it's kind of obvious to think about things where like, Hey, let's talk about this and let's see if we can work mm. it out and figure it out together. And it seems kind of dumb and like asinine, like the way that, you know, it's kind of set up at most companies where it right. is kind of top down and like everybody kind of falls in line. And I, I just, I just feel like that doesn't really make any sense. So, you know, I don't actually think that our culture is like so good or I've done anything like so great. Hmm. I just feel like it's kind of like common sense and like what like a yeah. five-year-old would do. And I feel like the other way is like just kind of like really bogus and violent and dumb. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and I think that, that that's a really, that's a really great point. Um, it, it is really interesting to kind of watch five-year-olds problem solve, right? Because they're very much like, oh yeah, obviously we're going to share. Obviously we're going to make sure that everybody has something to eat. Like you ask a five-year-old to like say, like, oh, you know, you're going to have to go and tell Tristan that he doesn't get lunch today. Like, what are you talking about? Like, why we're not, why would we do that? Um, so I, as a mom of a five-year-old, I love that. Um, so, yeah, but, but also I like, I, I love that you don't see your, like the culture of gravity as being revolutionary, that you just see it as being practical, yeah. which totally makes sense to me as like someone who is like doing anti-racism work all the data shows that like having more people at the table, having more voices, having a diversity, um, like in, in a space makes everyone more productive. Right. Yeah. And it's better for the entire, it's better for the entire company to have setups like this where, um, people are allowed to speak up or people are allowed to give feedback. Right. As opposed to making it, um, like a hierarchy. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's always evolving. Um, and I have to recognize that, like, because of that, I need to, you know, we need to lean on each other internally and recognize that because it's like, I, I can't necessarily do the things that I want to do. I can't meet my goals on my own. I can only yeah. meet my goals like together with the group. And so, you know, we have to have conversations, we have to respect each other, we have to listen to each other, e even and especially when we don't agree or think that we're getting it wrong. Mm, yeah, yeah. I also Absolutely. say, uh, I think I get way too much credit in two ways. One, you know, mm -hmm. it's the team that builds the company. It's not me, yeah. you know. Yeah. But then yep. secondly, I shouldn't get so much credit for the culture and for that stuff. I mean, it's really, I think, more of an indictment on, like, the way the system works than anything else. Because, okay. Because, like, I'm just doing, like, some basic things. And the fact that it's so, you know, seen as so revolutionary by other people, I mean, I think that seems a little bit strange and odd and just shows, like, how messed up the, the system is. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. Um, I think it was, I think it was yesterday that you like tweeted out that you were like supporting your employees if they decided to strike. Um, and that you, you also said that you support your employees, you know, when they are, if they're going to go and protest Black Lives Matter or just standing up for their beliefs. Um, do your employees actually take you up on that? Like, do they go out and like, they do just in the street? <laughs> Yeah, they that's amazing. They do. Um, but people sometimes get frustrated with me because they're like, you need to tell all your employees to go protest this or protest mm, that. And it's like, I've wow. never taken that type of authority over my employees before. Right. And so even if it's something like I really believe in, I'm more likely to like get all my like friends and family to go do it than I am to like tell my employees <laughs> that they have to do it. But like the, the people with very good intentions, right, that their heart's in the right place, they're like, you know, you, this is just lip service because you're not telling all your employees what to do. And it's like that just that I mean, I don't I think that's a shortcut mm -hmm. that maybe like gets like the optics or like the short term result. But I don't really think that works over the long term. Yeah, yeah, but that that absolutely makes sense. I actually, I, I I heard that you delve into that in a prior podcast with a, a teacher or, or a guy that was like a teacher for a little bit. I can't remember oh. which episode. Oh, with propaganda, probably. Yeah. He used to be a teacher. Yeah, yeah. And it was just kind of about how like, you know, it yes. just, it's just like if you just like use force. Uh-huh. Like in the long term, it really leaves a lot to be desired, even though yes. sometimes it takes a while for that problem to show up. So you're basically mm -hmm. just moving a problem from like right now to down the road. Yeah. But like, I mean, I'm really curious, like, and I'm sure you get asked this a lot, like, you know, like you've been kind of steady and working hard for so long. And then all of a sudden there are these like big waves where like everybody wants mm -hmm. to get on board yeah. And, and like, probably a lot of them are like well-intentioned, but very misinformed about how that works. Like, how is that for you? Like, how do you manage all that? Um, well, I guess from my, from my perspective, I feel like there is, you know, there's a lot of work that kind of goes into the back end, right. That people aren't, aren't seeing. And, um, I kind of see it as like, you're paddling out to like catch a wave, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're in the right place at the right time and you're set up the right way, you're going to be able to take advantage of that. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely see it that way. And I understand that like waves also have to come back down, right? <laughs> so um, being aware of like, yes, there are going to be people who are really excited about like, okay, I want to do anti-racism work. Like I, you know, I saw a video or like, you know, one of my friends has been talking to me for a couple of years and I finally decided like now's the time. Um, and honestly, like I'm all the way here for that. Like if, that, if that's what it takes to bring you into the conversation, to get you to start examining um, the way that you interact with the world, the way that um, maybe, maybe, being able to like see your privilege or see things that you have taken advantage of that just aren't available to everyone. Um, yeah, I, I think that I, I don't have, I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but I do also have to really manage my energy in like, okay, I can't, I can't go and have every conversation with every single person. Yeah. Right. Because I have to, I also have to put myself in a position where I can 
like do the work. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that part of doing the work is like swimming out to catch the wave. But again, as I said, like the wave is eventually it's going to come back down and I'm going to have to swim out again. And I just really see it as like this cycle of like, you can, you can try to take advantage of it or, yeah. or you can just, you know, let the waves crash up on the beach and you don't go anywhere. I like either way. Um, it's not really going to change like that process, but yeah, I have to be really careful about conserving my energy and understanding that like, okay, this is a wave and it's, you know, it's going to go back down and then something else is going to happen. And it's, I've got to be, I've got to be ready for, for the next thing. Um, and while all of this is going on, trying to be able to continue to educate people, to inform people, to ask people to interrogate, like, where they work, where they where they send their kids to school, um, what they're doing with their free time, what they're doing with their you know disposable income, um, because all of those things again are integral to reimagining what success looks like, what community looks like for yeah. us. But yeah, I love so. that analogy. Um, would you say each wave also probably gives you data for like how to do it differently the next wave and like kind of absolutely like, yeah. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, it's funny that you say that because that's exactly how, um, how like neuroscientists talk to talk about it is, is that it's like the more that you practice like this skill, whatever it is, um, like the easier it becomes over if, you know, if you, if you are willing to keep going, right. Mm -hmm. If you're willing to on, on the waves where you just get crashed into the sand, like, okay, we're going to get, get back up, get back out there. (laughs) Um, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I definitely, I, I don't know. I put a lot of, maybe it's just cause I like grew up in the Pacific Northwest, but a lot of my, a lot of my analogies are the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's, and it's like, it's very calming. So, you know, it works for me, but, um, yeah, I definitely try to try to try to do better right I try to see every every wave is like a learning experience um yeah and as an opportunity because ultimately I don't really I'm not really in this because I'm like oh I want to I don't know I was like I'm not I'm not like I want to do this for myself or I want to do this for my family it's very I've always been very clear that like my goal, the reason that I do this work is because I want to create a more equitable and just society, or I guess. Was there a moment where you were like, I, I, like, this is what I need to do? Oh boy. Um, wow. That, (laughs) that's a good question. Um, I don't, I don't know that there was a moment. It was, it was very much a process. Um, and the process really kind of got started the first time I got pregnant and I'm like looking at all these stats. I'm like, Oh my God, like I'm two to three times more likely to die. Um, like immediately following childbirth compared to like my white neighbor. And we, you know, we're the same age. We're, you know, we're both healthy. We're both young. Like, what is, what is happening right now? Um, and that really kind of kicked off my interrogation of the systems that, that exist and like what was, what was driving, what was creating these disparities. Um, Mm. and it really kind of started out with, with health outcomes for me, Mm. um, and kind of doing my own research. And I was like, Oh, okay. This is, 
this is a problem. Um, <laughs> and because I like, I, I've always wanted to be an educator. Um, it just seemed like a really kind of natural fit for me because I love, I love history. I love data. Um, I love research and I'm able to kind of distill those in ways that, um, I guess a lot of people find palatable Yeah, because it is, it's really hard. Like, like anti-racism work, it's kind of a bummer. So, um, I think that being able to, um, create a space that isn't, you know, I talk about this all the time, but you know, it's like, okay, we're going to create a space where you're not going to drive off into the ditch in terms of like shame and guilt and get stuck there. And we're not going to drive off into the ditch of defensiveness. Like going to try to keep it because it's like, it's not any one person's fault, but that doesn't mean that we get to not do the work. Yeah. Um, and so I try to kind of keep everybody like in between of like, I'm not, I'm not shaming you. You don't have to get defensive. Like we can, we can have conversations, but we have to keep moving. Um, that's, yeah, that's kind of how I see it. That actually does remind me of meditation a little bit in the sense that, you know, in meditation, right. You're supposed to observe and not judge. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like as much as I think it's like very well intentioned when people are like really like judgmental. And I like having certain voices out there that I'm fans with fans of that are like, you know, just tell it like it is in a way right. that's like, you know, maybe like somewhat like triggering for some people. Like I support mm. those people and I'm okay with that. But mm-hmm. I also think I, what I love about how you are approaching it because I, I think there's a lot of different approaches we have to work together at the same time, right? But what I love yes. about how you're yes. like approaching it or what you're saying right now, it's like if 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 actually we could just get on the same page about facts and history mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. life experience and what the actual like reality of the situation is, that would help us a lot. Yeah. But yeah. our brains block out data that doesn't conform mm-hmm. to what we yep. want the answer to be. Yep. And so once all that defensiveness and shame and all that stuff gets triggered, you know, yeah. it people are so good at just locking up their brains and and it's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's like humanity. It's not like that person. And right. so it's like how do we get the yes. data in without having the defense mechanism come up? It seems really challenging. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I think that that's very true. And especially, I think it's especially true in the U S where like America is kind of an identity for a lot of people, um, that you, you know, you do, you kind of like a lot of these conversations put people into like fight or flight mode, right. Where mm-hmm. it's like, okay, I like, this is a survival situation. And then, yeah, all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, prefrontal cortex is offline. Like we're not really going to have a conversation here. We're just going to yell at each other and never get out of this like intellectual cul-de-sac. Um, so I'm very much like a tell it like it is person, but I try to do it in a way that like challenges people to think, Mm. right. That I try to word things, especially like, especially with tweets. I really try to word my tweets in a way that can like circumvent those responses, mm. right? And get people to at least like sit for a second and ask themselves the hard questions. Um, again, without bringing, without it's like, okay, let's not fire up people's amygdalas. Like we can <laughs> want to be able to like have those conversations. And like you said, you know, when people get defensive, it's, I mean, they can't, they can't like, they can't because it's, 
because it's like, oh, okay, my body is in danger. Yeah. Right. Like that is that's what that's what your amygdala is saying. It's like I need to survive right now, and so I don't care what you're saying. Um, and it's a really uh, it's a really kind of outdated piece of technology because <laughs> conversations are not putting your life in danger. But um, I mean, that's that's how human brains evolved, and so we have to kind of deal with with the hardware as it is, I guess. Well, um, but and I try to remind people in my life. Um, and I've learned this from from you and so many other people that have helped me. I try to remind people in my life that, you know, maybe your shame or your anxiety is helpful to you in some way and gets you to some like better place. And so if that's the case, like use it for yourself. No problem with that. But mm-hmm. your shame and anxiety is not helping anybody else. It's not doing it's not like getting anybody else ahead or keeping them from like suffering from injustice or anything like that. I mean, it's, I I don't want to tell people not to listen to their conscience. Of course they should listen to their conscience and listen to those things, but don't, but don't let that be the be all end all or the focus point. The focus point is the Mm -hmm. actual change. It's not, and Mm -hmm. and the learning and the, you know, the, I mean, I think there's a, there's a positive story here for people that maybe have not been on the bad end of this whole you know, racial injustice that's been, you know, a, a rotten core for us for so long, which is yeah. if you can get to a place where that, where that gets corrected, I think we can all kind of breathe a little easier together and have, you know, a really like nice, like evolution together. Like mm-hmm. all of us, all of us will benefit from that. But that's oh, like, but that's like real learning, real change. And like just sitting here being like, oh, I hate myself because I'm white. Like that doesn't really do anything, you know, like. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, it, you know, it's really funny that you say that because a lot of people will reach out to me and say like, oh, you said this thing or you tweeted this thing. And then I had to go and talk to my therapist about it. Great. So, <laughs> that's a good sign. Um, yeah. Right. Exactly. It's like, okay, okay. That, that works. Like, yeah, go, go and process this with someone who can like give you positive feedback, um, and help you again, like circumvent those shame responses, but give you data, right. Give you information, um, about what cause, what caused that reaction in your body. Well, um, and then does that person go and, you know, try to shame all these people that don't have access to a therapist. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's like, uh-huh. if, if you want to see that change, you know, like if you need to scream at a bunch of people, cause you're like upset, I'm talking about like, you know, generally like a white person or a privileged <laughs> right. person, right. That's going through. Yeah. And then they want to like scream and it's like, well, that's okay if you need to do it, but also can you, you know, be willing to pay more taxes or take less income or give up some of mm. that extra power that really doesn't belong to you yeah. so that people that don't have what you have, regardless of their skin color, can have that same conversation with their therapist that you got to mm-hmm. have and mm-hmm. do some of that same, have some of that same processing happen. Because like, you know, since the uh, probably the late 70s, early 80s, we've basically taken away people's mental health care from them. Yeah. You know, vast majority of people out there. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. I I mean, how much how how much do you think it would help the conversations around race if we had like a functioning mental health care system where everybody had access to it? 
Oh, that is a really, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. I think that it would help significantly. Um, I think that, yeah, I, I think that, um, it would be helpful both for people with privilege and people without privilege, right? Because you'd be able to see these like measurable improvements because like since, since we started shutting down like mental health institutions, um, which yeah, it, in, in the seventies basically was when Congress started like pulling funds from that. Um, yeah, it's just, it's people just get shuffled into jails. Right. Yeah. And so if you are having a mental health crisis, it's like, you can't call the police. And even if you call a social worker, they're probably going to call the police. And we, so we have these really kind of vicious cycles. And I think, yeah, if we can, if we could break those cycles, like that would have a hugely positive impact on, um, like people's mental health just across the board. I think about people like that have had them, their dignity or their family's dignity, like ripped away from them over the last Mm -hmm. 10 or 20 or 30 years. And then you tell them something that is true, which is that they're privileged, but they can't really hear that message very well after having their dignity ripped away from them. And, and, and I feel like it's like, okay, like, can you blame them? Okay, sure. Yeah. Like, you know, they're responsible for their behavior a hundred percent. I'm all about mm-hmm, accountability mm-hmm. for their, for their behavior, for anybody's right. behavior. But, yeah. you know, can we also talk about like, maybe, uh, maybe there's some more powerful, more privileged forces that need some accountability there too. Yeah. And let's not, yeah. you know, let's not forget where some of the real accountability lies in that. And so it's like, I'm not, I'm not like trying to let anybody off the hook, but I'm just saying, let's not let some, some people off the hook that maybe are some even worse actors in that scenario. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with that because I, and I think that, um, one, one thing that I see a lot, like kind of like being more like towards the left is there is a lot of like, well, okay, why are people voting against their self-interest? Like, this seems very stupid to me that you would do this. And I'm like, okay, I understand that you are frustrated as someone who is observing this happening where people are going out and they're, you know, they're voting for these politicians who then end up like shutting down these rural healthcare networks or hospitals. And so all of a sudden it's like you're two and a half hours away from a hospital because your state decided not to take like Medicaid expansion or, or what, whatever the situation is. Um, but yeah, I absolutely hear that. It's like, even though people are like voting against their self-interest, they're also very seriously suffering for, for those votes. They just don't, they just haven't made the connection is all. Um, well, but yeah, I think, and they're hearing something that's true, which is the right. the system is also rigged against them. It's not rigged right. against them as brutally, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but that's hard for them to hear when when it's yeah. like kind of been ripped away from them. Yeah, and like Absolutely. I'm not like trying to like sho- like shovel sympathy on anybody or anything like that. But it's yeah. like if we could like put solutions into place, like hey, what if everybody has access to healthcare and it's not going to bankrupt them? What if we don't have a country where 70 or 80% of the people would be, you know, out on the street with an unexpected, like $3,000 expense that comes up, which in Mm -hmm. our world can come up Mm -hmm. anytime. What if we have like a baseline, you know, seed amount of money, like a UBI 
uh, you know, $1,000 a month, which you could easily pay for just by taxing tech tech companies that literally pay zero taxes today. You know, like what if you do all those things, then I feel like you have a little bit more of like a bridge to build in solving Mm -hmm. some of these divides. Yeah. Because it's like the, 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 the issues that are like on my heart and mind around like learning about the fact that, yeah, for most of the country's history was slavery and right. the economic engine of the country came from slavery. And yeah. so like, it's, it's not like this like small little like blip or anything. Like we literally wouldn't, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be where we are as a country in terms of wealth and power and military and right. everything else. If you take away slavery. So like, I, I like Mm -hmm. kind of both acknowledge all those things. And then I'm also like, but like, what's the path forward? Like, how do we realize that like, you know, in, in some ways the very notion of race was like invented, you know, in certain ways, like to condone these horrible injustices and condone the type of horrible brutality that you had to, exhibit to keep people working 16, 17 hours a day for no pay. And if we can start to like basically build a a foundation that we can all stand on, Mm -hmm. maybe that's Mm -hmm. part of the path forward. Yeah. Yeah. I I completely agree. And I think that, um, you know, uh, on one hand, I kind of, I very much encourage people of color, especially like don't sit down and try to have conversations with people who don't think you're fully human. Like there are other people who can have those conversations and like those conversations need to be had. Like people need to be having them. People need to be sitting down and explaining like, Hey, you will benefit from this as well. Right? Like you are not going to be left behind in the ways that you've been left behind up to this point because of the people that you've been voting for in the ways that they have not cared about you or your community or, um, like your business or your colleagues or whatever the situation is. Um, so yeah, I absolutely agree that there, there definitely needs to be, people need to, people with privilege especially need to kind of be able to like sit down and have some of those harder conversations and like build those, build those bridges. Um, and I think, you know, I talk about this all the time, but I love the fact that, that, Dr. King called all of these white preachers in Birmingham who were like pro segregation. He referred to them as people of goodwill because he's like, you see this, I know you have eyes, you see that this is wrong, but he's still kind of like, I don't even want to say extended an olive branch, but he gave them a little bit of grace, right. To say like, come and like have this conversation because I know that, you know, that this doesn't line up with your beliefs. Right. I know that this doesn't line up with, with your scriptures because I teach and read the same scriptures. And so, um, yeah, I think that having, having those conversations is absolutely essential. And, and part of, you know, like part of why I want to do what I do is to empower people to be able to have some of those hard conversations, um, that, that desperately need to be had, um, in order to bring more people in. Yeah. Well, and I think you do such a good job of that because, you know, facts are not an insult. Right. (laughs) People can take them that way. Uh Uh-huh. And that's, but like, you know, I could, for example, like 
spend time, you know, sharing the work you're doing and like, you know, how like the education of like, what is our actual history as opposed to the alternative history? What is our actual reality as opposed to the alternative reality that we're, that we're taught? Mm -hmm. Or I could kind of like go around name calling people. And it's like, there the the first one just seems so like like you're you're gonna offend plenty of people on the first one so even if your goal was to offend people like you get that out of the first one too as i'm sure you know uh-huh. but then you also get the fact that you're actually you're just telling people the truth you know what i mm-hmm. mean and mm-hmm. so it's mm-hmm. like the, like this is you're sharing you're sharing the the reality of the of the situation and and it's like we we, we need to we need to accept the that reality, accept facts, and not because those facts maybe are different than the power structure would like us to believe or like what our worldview mm-hmm. is. That's no reason to put up a, a barrier and say like, oh, you know, facts can't enter my brain because of that. Right. Yep. Yep. I completely agree. Um, and, and I think that, um, you know, when you're saying like, facts can be offensive to people. Um, one thing that I found that's really interesting is when you start to have these kinds of conversations with people, it's like, okay, this is, here's, here's a piece of data, but why? Right? Like, why is it like this? Instead of just saying, well, this is how it is. Like I have this data, this is how it is. Um, you know, and people usually are like, oh, I'm going to talk crime or Chicago or whatever, whatever the case is, but like, okay, so let's, let's drill down here. Why is it like this? Right. Why is policing not working? Um, you know, why is it that like, if somebody breaks into your car, like you call the cops, they're not going to get your stuff back. Like who are they protecting exactly? Like they're not going to get your stuff back. Um, you know, if you're, if you're sexually assaulted, like they're not going to go and find the person who assaulted you, but they don't consider that to be their job. So, um, let's ask why that's happening instead of saying, well, no, we just need to support, you know, we just need to support the police because otherwise it's going to be chaos. It's like we can, we can create better systems. Right. But I think that, yeah, that create, that requires conversations and it honestly, it requires like creating a narrative, creating a story that is compelling to people because that's just how human brains work. I, I, I really like what you're saying. <laughs> Uh, thank you. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, Dan. I really appreciate it. I'm glad that we got to have this conversation, it's even though hu- you kind of turned it around on me. It's a, oh, it's a huge pleasure. No. And, and, uh, you know, the work you do is helpful to me and so many people. And I, I really do believe that this is a, like an inside out kind of rot type situation. And so mm-hmm. I, I think that, um, you know, the, that, means that it it really it really it does hurt like people out there that that are like struggling to see it or like you know aren't accepting it like yeah i i just am trying because you know i grew up in idaho idaho has less than a one percent black population yeah yep and so it's so helpful for me when, you know, I'm posting about systemic racism and somebody that grew up teaching me and coaching me in Idaho replies, yeah, but that's because black people are lazy. 
It, right. It's so helpful for me to be able to rattle off uh-huh. seven or eight things right away because I have yeah. that bridge. Yep. And it's because of people like you that I can do that. Um, and so just want to say thank you. And, you know, I, I, um, I hope we can accelerate the, uh, the progress we're making, um, or, or even start making progress to the extent that it's yeah. at a standstill sometimes or going in the wrong direction. Um, mm -hmm. and I, um, yeah, I just, uh, I really appreciate all the work that you're doing because it's just so helpful for me. And I think it's what we need. Thank you. That is really kind of you to say. I appreciate it. And it also makes me really happy that, because that's what I want. I want people to be able to, to say like, oh, well, okay, I have all of this data. So yeah, again, like, let's talk about why, why do you feel this way? Like, why have you internalized this information that is based on like a tiny fragment of American history, like a tiny fragment of the story. So anyway, thank you. Um, yeah, this is like, okay, if people want to find you, this is, I'm like, this is so weird. Cause it's like, obviously they can just go Google you, but like where you're on Twitter and you tweet a lot of amazing things. So yeah, I'm on Twitter, Instagram. Um, I have a book out called worth it, which kind of like details that journey that you're asking me about a little bit and, and, um, like awesome. how I, you know, kind of went through that little maze. Um, so if people want to learn more, those are good resources, but I really like hearing from people. I can't always get to every single like comment or message or whatnot, but totally. It, totally. It, it always means a lot to me when people reach out. Awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at white homework and you can go to whitehomework.com to sign up for pay the rent club. We are paying the rent for um, a black family for a year so that they have a little bit of breathing room and can think about next steps as opposed to just being in survival mode constantly. Um, you can find White Homework Lessons on toryglass.com. If you're listening to this, please take 30 seconds to like hit that five star button or write a review if you want to. It means a lot to me. Um, yeah, I think, oh, Amazing artwork was done by Slade Sundar and you can check out his art online. Uh, yeah, that's everything. Have a good one. Bye. White Homework is a Coba.fm production. Your host is Tori Williams Douglas. Executive producers are Jeff Martin and Nate Frazier. Produced by Jillian Cohan Martin. Audio production and editing by Nash Probst. Music by Kay Salas. For additional resources on White Homework, please visit whitehomework.com. For more information on other COBA podcasts, please visit COBA.fm. That's C-O-B-A dot F-M. Thanks for listening.